Hey folks, I'm Jeremy. And I'm John. And we are Poemcast. Breathing life into pulmonary and critical care core content. Here at Poemcast, we believe in a brain-protective strategy, delivering information at 6 megabytes per kg. Y'all are so nerdy. <laughs> so take a deep breath. <sighs> we are diving in. <laughs> that wasn't terrible. No. Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to Poemcast. I'm Jeremy Amayo, your host, and today we're going to be talking about airway management and human factors. For those of you who don't know, human factors are pretty much the way we as humans behave in response to a particular environment or system or set of circumstances. And you might be wondering how these two things are related or if they're even related at all. But hopefully by the end of the show, I'll have you convinced that they are. So why make a show on airway? Well, there's been a huge push in our system to standardize airway management strategies across multiple facilities. And really specifically, our vision is that we want the way that we prepare the airway, the way that we communicate about the airway, and the way we adapt as a team to the failed airway be the same no matter what facility we're practicing at. And just as a side note, We're really trying to move away from this idea that intubation is this procedure that somebody performs in the room. And don't get me wrong, intubation is important. But I think it's better to consider intubation a mere component of airway management. And don't forget that airway management is a team sport that requires a team. MDs, respiratory therapists, nurses, us APPs, we all have a role to play in the room. And this is where the idea of human factors really comes into play. While intubating a patient, how many of you out there have had a near miss, or maybe an actual miss, or even a fatal outcome? Maybe the suction was missing, or maybe the wrong medication was pushed, or maybe the patient had a critical desaturation that was missed. And this list goes on and on. I'm sure you have your own to share. But all of these scenarios really raise the question that we're trying to answer in this podcast. What is it about the environment of intubating a critically ill patient that begets human error? From my perspective, there's a lot. You know, you have a crashing sick patient. You have alarms going off in the room. There's lots of equipment to assemble. There's a sense of urgency that you can feel. And the stress is palpable. And we all know that stress can lead to poor communication, misunderstanding, and these things merely compound the problem. Maybe the more important question is that given that the environment is inherently stressful, is there anything that we can do to change this environment to mitigate human error while intubating a critically ill patient as much as possible. To help me answer this question, I'm honored to have a guest on the show, Dr. Curtis Coley. He's one of our pulmonary and critical care docs who's not only quite adept at airway management, but also has a knack for strategy, communication, and team building. So thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be part of this project. So, you know, I'm feeling quite inspired today by a quote that I recently uh, retweeted from Scott Weingart. He's an ED intensivist from New York. He tweeted, there's no such thing as a crash or emergent intubation 
anymore. There is only crash oxygenation, followed by a slow and controlled intubation. Dr. Coley, tell me what you think about that idea. I had never heard of that concept before, but I think that it really hits the nail on the head. I think that we as advanced airway providers uh, have the responsibility to make sure that the environment in which the patient gets intubated is as safe and controlled as possible. I agree that emergent oxygenation is really the main concern, but everything else should flow like a well-greased machine. So coincidentally, earlier this week, Dr. Coley and I actually had a patient with a difficult airway. And we'll spare specific details for the sake of privacy, but tell me, when you realized this patient needed to be intubated, and when you realized that the patient might have a difficult airway, what sort of things went through your mind in terms of preparing for that? And specifically, I'm talking about preparation in three domains. So preparing the patient and their family, preparing all the equipment, and preparing the team. What do you think? Sure. When it comes to preparing the patient and family, it really depends on the acuity level of the patient and their immediate need for stabilization and establishment of a secure airway. The ideal situation would be that we could prepare both the patient and family well in advance of the need for intubation. However, we all know that sometimes this is just not possible. In the case that there is a quote-unquote crash and burn intubation, we just need to quickly remove the family from the room so we have enough space to function as a team and get the patient in the appropriate position for the procedure. In terms of preparing the room and the equipment along with the team, uh, that is a completely different animal in and of itself. Both myself and uh, my colleagues here have really been pushing a preparation checklist for our staff members uh, that are separated out into pharmacy roles, nursing roles, and respiratory therapy roles. Uh, and they cover everything from drawing up the appropriate medications, making sure that the patient is monitored throughout the entire procedure, making sure that the patient is pre-oxygenated, the airway is established, and that there is subsequent confirmation that the procedure was successful. One of the mnemonics that can be used for uh, tracheal intubation is called STOP MADE. So S is for suction, T is for tools for intubation, including laryngoscope blades, handles, etc. O is for oxygenation, P is for positioning of the patient. M for monitoring, including pulse oximetry, blood pressure. A is for the assistant who handles the AMBU bag, airway devices, stylets, etc. I is for IV access. And D is for drugs, including the induction agent, neuromuscular blocking agent, uh, etc. And this was taken from up-to-date, but it is a really easy way to remember all the crucial components of an intubation. So one of the things that we've really been trying to push in our system is having a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. And the hope is that 
all three of these plans are discussed prior to pushing any RSI meds. So the whole room is on board with what's going to happen. So for example, I might say my plan A is direct laryngoscopy, followed by my plan B, which is the glide scope. And my plan C is securing a supraglottic airway and moving quickly to a crike. Dr. Chloe, do you think this is something that we need to do, even if we don't predict the airway to be difficult? Absolutely. There's no question about it. Uh, and I will use a reference to another industry that uses checklists, and that's the airline industry. Uh, they are considered a highly reliable and regardless of the length of the flight, uh, the conditions that the plane is going to fly through, they perform a checklist every time. Now, Atul Gawande in 2009 wrote a book called The Checklist Manifesto that I'm sure many of our listeners have already read, if not they should, relating to how checklists implemented in the medical field can lead to a significant reduction in negative outcomes for the patients. You know, assuring that we have the correct patient, that the correct procedure is being done, making sure that all the appropriate tools and equipment are in the room and readily accessible. All these things can have a significant impact on both the safety and the ultimate outcome of our patients. Given that intubating really any patient, but especially critically ill patients, is stressful and stressful environments, stressful situations are very prone to human error. And human error can be mitigated with planning and communication. I guess my final question is more of a philosophical one. Why do you think some providers are so opposed or maybe just uncomfortable with this idea of over planning and over communicating prior to managing an airway? I'm not completely sure, but in dealing with many different people over the course of my career, I think that change is scary. Uh, I think that performing checklists is a relatively new component of medical care, and we tend to let our egos influence what we actually do. Um, repeating out loud to a team uh, is an admission, essentially, that, hey, I might have forgotten something despite all of my education, despite all of my, my training. Um, but to be honest with you, I think that we, as a healthcare community, need to get over that. I think that, uh, again, if we all have the patient safety uh, and uh, the desire to help our patients in the forefront, then performing checklists on every procedure, uh, regardless of the difficulty, should be done. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Coley, for sharing some of your insight with us. I'm going to go ahead and summarize what we talked about for all of you listeners out there. So first, remember that what we're talking about and what we're all concerned about is airway management. And remember that this is a team sport. Don't forget that there's no such thing anymore as a crash intubation. It's all about crash oxygenation, followed by a slow, controlled, and really a well-planned, well-communicated intubation. In that same vein, number three is that preparation and communication are key. 
Remember stop made? It's a great mnemonic for remembering the equipment that you need to have ready in the room. And lastly, don't forget about your plan A, plan B, and plan C. Don't forget to communicate it to the team every single time, even if you expect things to go smoothly. And more importantly, make sure that you confirm that the equipment for said plans is at the bedside, ready for you to use it, so that if anything goes awry, the whole room knows where it is and what to do next. Well, Poemcasters, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. We love having uh, you listen to our show. And if you haven't already, hop on over to the show notes at poemcast.com. Take a look. There's going to be some further reading and uh, details about what we talked about today. And really, we'd love to hear from you. You you can drop us some comments. And if you work at a different site and have any different airway management systems or strategies or insights that work well for you, share it with us. Until next time, keep breathing, keep streaming, and keep reading.